Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to present a little segment I've wanted to do for a long time debunking the Spalding Manuscript Theory. So uh, I know there's, I'm surprised at how many people still believe this theory, and we're going to go into it big time, talk a little bit about the history of Solomon Spalding, as well as why this theory just breaks down. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. All right. Well, it's uh, so good to be with you guys again. These are some of my favorite meetings. I'm going to see if I can share my screen here. Here we go. Hopefully you guys can see my first slide. All right, perfect. So it's funny, Robert, you mentioned that I did statistics. We're not going to go deep into that, but statistics is going to come up in in this conversation today. So uh, uh, it's right up kind of up my alley. I like like this kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to move some of this stuff out of my way. All right. All right, so we're going to talk about debunking the Spalding Manuscript Theory. Probably this is the oldest theory ever on the composition of the Book of Mormon. Oops, let's see, yeah. All right, so uh, this is a picture or painting, I'm not sure exactly, of uh, Solomon Spalding. (laughs) I'm amazed that this this is the theory that will, this never seems to die. And so uh, I kind of wanted to address uh, address it and, and talk about it. Um, so anyway, um, following publication of the Book of Mormon in 1830, critics of Joseph Smith believed he must have plagiarized it from someone because clearly Joseph didn't have the capacity to write that book. Now, I, I will just mention here really quickly, I think this is changing, but back in 1830, everybody was like, Joseph's way too dumb to have written this sort of thing. So anyway, the most popular theory was known as the Spalding theory. You'll notice the Spalding is spelled with and without an, a U in it. Um, and even you'll notice in my slides, it's it's all over the place. I don't think he really cared all that much on how it was spelled um, with or without the U. So uh, anyway, he was We'll talk a little bit about uh, Solomon Spalding. So, he was born February 20th, 1761 in Ashford, Connecticut, served in the Continental Army during the Revolution. That was kind of interesting to, to find out. He was in the class of, ni- of excuse me, 1785 <laughs> in Dartmouth College, uh, which is in New Hampshire. Uh, he was ordained two years later a Congregationalist preacher in Wyndham, Connecticut, and in 1799, he moved to Conneaut, Ohio, and started writing the novel, which it was never actually named. Um, when it was found, they, they called it Manuscript Found, and so that's kind of the name it, it's taken on. Um, but uh, anyway, that's that's when he probably started writing it. Um, he moved to Pittsburgh during the War of 1812, and uh, so Pittsburgh 
Pittsburgh is going to be an important site, uh, city, because that's where Sidney Rigdon is, is from. And so uh, there's been many attempts to try to tie Solomon Spalding to Sidney Rigdon, as, as we'll learn here. So he died um, October 20th, 1816 in Amity, Pennsylvania, which is about 40 miles from Pittsburgh. So he was dead long before uh, even the first vision. And so according to this theory, Sidney Rigdon, who's also from Pittsburgh, somehow allegedly obtained this manuscript. Uh, there have been lots of people that have tried to link those two. There's really been nothing to to link them together. Um, but the idea is that that Sidney Rigdon surreptitiously gave the manuscript to jo uh, Joseph Smith sometime before 1827. Some people have said, well, that's what was in the hat. Joseph was reading from the manuscript in the hat. Um, I've, I just find this theory crazy because why wouldn't Sidney just claim it himself? <laughs> that, that seems to me the, the way more obvious thing. But uh, then he faked his conversion uh, in November of 1830. That was seven, seven months after the founding. Uh, Sidney Rigdon has always denied any role in writing the Book of Mormon, and he actually didn't even meet the Prophet Joseph until December of 1830. So he converted before he met Joseph Smith. But, you know, according to the theory, he had some secret connection to Joseph Smith, and no, nobody's ever been able to explain those, those connections. Um, the earliest mention of the Spalding theory was in the 1st of September, 1831, issue of the New York Courier and Inquirer. It was reprinted just before Halloween in 1831, October 29th, in the Hillsborough Gazette in Ohio. Um, and in the, the newspaper article, it said, there is no doubt, but the ex-parson from Ohio, referring to Sidney Rigdon, is the author of the book, which was recently printed and published in Palmyra and passes for the new Bible. So this quote comes from Richard Van Wagener's book, uh, Biography on Sidney Rigdon, A Portrait of Religious Excess. You're going to notice that I'm going to refer a lot to both Richard Van Wagner and um, Fawn Brody in this presentation. Uh, that's where most of most of this information comes from. Um, some of the earliest Mormon critics, a guy by the name of Doctor, Doctor was his first name, it was not a title, Dr. Philastus Hurlbut. He lived from February 1809 to June of 1883. He was a former Methodist minister. He joined Joseph Smith's Church of Christ sometime in 1832 or 1833. He was excommunicated in June of 1833 on charges of a sexual immorality. Um, following that, he became probably the most prominent anti-Mormon of the day. He went to Palmyra and collected a bunch of affidavits from Joseph Smith's neighbors, um, trying to, to dig up dirt on Joseph Smith. In 1834, he was arrested for threatening Joseph Smith's life. Um, he threatened he would, quote, wash his hands in the prophet's blood. Uh, in, 18, in January of 1834, Joseph Smith filed a legal complaint bringing Hurlbut to trial on the 1st of April. The court found him guilty, fined him $200, and ordered him to keep the peace for uh, six months. And so um, the notoriety surrounding Hurlbut compounded 
by an embarrassing incident when his wife was discovered in bed with Judge Oris Clapp tarnished his image. He sold his research to Eber D. Howe, who was the editor of the Painesville Telegraph. And E.D. Howe held a long-term grudge against Mormonism for converting his wife and daughter. So we'll talk about him as well. Uh, Eber D. Howe was born in 1798 and died in 1885. He's the founder of the Painesville Telegraph uh, from 1822. And he was the one who actually published the first anti-Mormon book, called Mormonism Unveiled in 1834. Uh, I will tell you that a few years ago, John, uh, Dan Vogel um, actually published a scholarly edition where he footnoted all of the uh, charges of Edie Howe in the book. It's really fascinating. <laughs> Dan did a great job with that book. I uh, highly recommend it. So um, you can get you can get that. I, I think that's through Signature Books. I, I can't remember. Uh, one of the other interesting things about Edie Howe, you know, a lot of times we like to paint these guys as villains. Um, he was actually a strong abolitionist, and his home was used as a station for the Underground Railroad. So I'll put in a good word for, for that <laughs> there with Edie Howe. So between Dr. Philassus Herbert and Edie Howe, those were the two people who collected most of the information uh, on uh, – you know, the authorship of the Book of Mormon as early as 1834. So according to Fawn Brody on page 144 of her book, No Man Knows My History, now to his bitter chagrin, he found that the long chase had been in vain. And we're referring to uh, Lassus Hurlbut or Hurlbert. Once again, spellings are very uh, loose back then. Sometimes there's an R in his name, sometimes not. Um for while the romance did concern the ancestors of the Indians, its resemblance to the Book of Mormon ended there. None of the names found in one could be identified in the other. The many battles which each described showed not the slightest similarity with those of the other, and Spalding's prose style, which aped the 18th century British sentimental novelists, differed from the style of the Mormon Bible as much as Pamela, or virtue rewarded, differed from the New Testament. So that's a quote from Fran Brook, No Man Knows My History. Um, so despite this, it's, it's been interesting to me to see how many um, people still love this theory for some strange reason. Um, so Hurlbut or Hurlbut uh, proposed that there must have been a second ma manuscript. Um, Edie Howe. Uh, wrote to Robert Patterson, the Pittsburgh printer mentioned by Spalding's widow. Um, he replied that he had no recollection of any manuscript being brought there for publication, neither would he have been likely to have seen it as the business of printing was conducted wholly by Lambden at the time. Disappointed in this source and unable to get any confirming evidence from Joseph Smith's neighbors in western New York, Hurlbut had to be content with insinuating that Sidney Rigdon, who had once lived in Pittsburgh, was somehow responsible for getting the Spalding manuscript into Joseph Smith's hand. So that's another quote from Fawn Brody's book, page 449. So and Fawn Brody continues, um, if the evidence pointing to the existence of a second Spalding, Spalding manuscript is dubious, the affidavits trying to prove that Rigdon stole it or copied it are all unconvincing and frequently preposterous. 
First, there is no evidence that Rigdon ever lived in Pittsburgh until 1822. So this is six years after uh, Spalding's death. Uh, Rigdon became the pastor of the First Baptist Church. Robert Patterson Jr., son of the Pittsburgh printer, conducted an exhaustive research among the old settlers of the vicinity to try to establish the truth of the Spalding theory. This was in 1882, 66 years after Spalding's death. Many were familiar with the theory and believed it, but few could give firsthand information. Rigdon's brother-in-law, not a Mormon, and Isaac King, the old neighbor, swore to him that Rigdon did not go to Pittsburgh before 1822. Mrs. Lambden, the widow of Patterson's partner, denied any knowledge of Rigdon, as did Robert Dubois, who had worked in the print shop between 1818 and 1820. So another reference from Fon Brody's book. Um, and then we have to sum, according to the theory, we've got a tie Sidney Rigdon Joseph Smith somehow before 1830 when his uh, first visit in December of 1830 is well documented. So Brody continues, the tenuous chain of evidence accumulated to support the Spalding-Rigdon theory breaks altogether when it tries to prove that Rigdon met Joseph Smith before 1830. Rigdon's life between 1826 and 1829 has been carefully documented from non-Mormon sources it is clear from the following chronology that he was as busy and successful preacher and one of the leading figures in the Campbellite movement in Ohio until August of 1830 when he broke with Alexander Campbell over the question of introducing communism into the Campbellite church. He was one of four key men of that church. It cannot be held that Sidney Rigdon rewrote the Spalding manuscript before 1827 since the anti-Masonry permeating the book clearly stemmed from the Morgan excitement beginning late in 1826. So there, uh, in Brody's book, she lists a, a table of all the funerals, marriages, and other meetings between 1826 and 1830 that Sidney Rigdon attended, along with gaps of his, where his whereabouts aren't known. But there is no link uh, between Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon prior to 1830. It just doesn't exist. I know a lot of people are still trying to find that, but no link exists. I hope you enjoyed my introduction to Solomon Spalding. In our next conversation, we're going to actually read the manuscript. If you want to believe the Spalding manuscript, which I have a hard time with, um, just read the manuscript. Like, it's honestly, it felt to me like I was reading Gilligan's Island. Like, it's that kind of humor. <laughs> um, uh, so we'll we'll do that in just a minute. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, subscribe on either Patreon or at GospelTangents.com. For just $5 a month, you can hear the entire audio uninterrupted. On our $10 tier, if you'd like to see the whole video, you can see that uh, either on YouTube.com slash GospelTangents, or I've got a special Facebook group devoted for uh, full videos. So subscribe at gospeltangents.com and uh, sign up for just $10 a month. For $20 a month, if you'd like to get some bonus content, uh, maybe some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, you can sign up for that. And then if you'd like to talk to me for $100 a month, we'll, we'll do a monthly phone call on something like Zoom and you can ask me anything you want. So Thanks again. Also, don't forget about the merch, mugs, t-shirts, 
um, hats, things like that. I'm trying to get the ties up there. Hopefully I can get up, up there. And uh, thanks again for watching Gospel Tangents and click here for some more videos. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.